so it's 2003, and uh, a mentor, someone who, one of the closest, kind of a father figure in my life, had been diagnosed with colon cancer and was on his deathbed. And it happened really, it seemed really fast. I mean, we went from meeting every week, going through books like Trusting God uh, by Jerry Bridges, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He was just loved me really, really well. And then he all of a sudden started to waste away. And I remember vividly going to his house. I wanted to see him one last time before he died. His name was Clark Bonham. And I remember going into his house, and the scene, I'll never forget what he looked like. He was absolutely um, a shell of what he once was, just absolutely the cancer, had, as cancer does, so fiercely had just eaten him away. But he had one last conversation he wanted to have. And so in his bedroom in Sumter, South Carolina, he's literally laying in his bed. He can barely eat anymore. And I remember he, he brings me close, and he says to me, I'll never forget what he said, dying words. He says, Sammy, I want you to know that your wife, Alyssa, uh, she'll have many pastors in her life, but she'll only have one husband, so love her well. It was his last thing he wanted to say to me before he, he died the next, I think, the next week. Uh, the scene we're going to read in Peter's life, we're wrapping up our series, Life of Peter, and we have a similar scene where Peter, literally, this is his last words in Second Peter 3, they're almost like dying words, because very shortly, he's, he's in Rome at the time, Nero's persecution has started, He's going to be killed in the midst of this persecution. And 2 Peter 3 are his last words to his beloved children, his beloved people, the church. So let's read them together. 2 Peter 3, verses 1 to 13. Here's what he writes. He says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world, uh, the world that then existed was deluged, with, was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let me pray for us. I want to dive in. Uh, Jesus, we do. We, we thank you that you um, love us so much that you remind us, you give us your promises. You have, have written them down for us. Um, Lord, I pray that as we look at Peter's last words, his dying words, his, his words, his last things he wants to say to his, his friends, Lord, I pray that you would 
be the one who ministers us by your spirit, that you would be the one who encourages us, that rebukes us, who gives us the grace of repentance, um, and who meets us exactly where we are in this room uh, in Sloan 112 tonight. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So these are Peter's uh, dying words, and there really are three things that he wants them to remember. Um, I don't know if you're a Chris Nolan fan at all, but one of the, his breakout films was the, was the movie Memento. And the story of Memento was this guy, played by Guy Pierce, who couldn't, he had this condition, this per- peculiar form of amnesia where he couldn't remember anything that really happened to him, but especially in the last five minutes of his life. He would, something would happen, he would immediately forget. So he had this elaborate system where he would write all over his body and he would use all these Polaroid pictures just to kind of remind himself of what had just happened to him. And Peter jumps in, and basically that's what he's saying. He's saying it's part, of what, part of what is so hard about the Christian life is how prone you and I are to forgetting this great thing called salvation and all that it entails that's happened to us. And Peter is really gathering his, his people, and he's saying these, he wants them to remember, to, to remind themselves of these three things over and over and over. And we're going to look at them one by one. Three things that he wants them to remember. First, truth that doesn't change. Second, the Lord who is patient. And then lastly, the, the future that is to come, the future of the world. So first, he wants them to remember truth that doesn't change. So again, Peter's in Rome. Nero's, Nero's persecution has broken out in Rome. He's writing this shortly before he's going to die. And these are reflections of a dying man. These are reflections of a man who's come to the end of his ministry, to the end of his life. And he hints at that in chapter 1. We're not going to look at it. But his first word to, to them, his first word to us, is he wants them to remember the truth. To remember the truth about God, to remember the truth about themselves, and to remember the truth about what God is doing in the world. And, and he starts with these scoffers, right? Like he starts with talking about this group of people, these false teachers who'd come in and had forgotten these things. They'd forgotten them either intentionally or they had disregarded them or were skeptical about them. So he goes into this whole thing about how they'd forgotten, namely their creator. <laughs> they'd forgotten that God created this whole thing, he says, through water. And they, but really, his point is that God created it through the word of his power. God is going to, at some point, transform it by the word of his power as we enter into the new heavens and new earth. And they've forgotten the truth about God. They've forgotten the truth about themselves. And he doesn't want you and us, he doesn't want his people to do the same thing, to forget the truth. To forget the truth about God, about us, about the world. Um, one of my favorite scenes, it's a random scene. I don't, I'm a Narnia nerd, but there's a scene in Silver Chair Whereas, I don't know if you remember this, he, he gathers uh, Eustace and Jill, and he's going to set them in this journey. But he says, I'm going to give you these signs and commandments that I want you to, to, to get down, to remember, to preach to yourself. Here's what he says. He says, but first, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, he's gathered him in this mountain. I've spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so, I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. But as you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. It's strangely, it's eerily similar to the end of Ecclesiastes where he says, all is nothing, all is vanity. Remember the Lord's commandments and keep them, right? Aslan is saying that to, to Jill and to Eustace, and this is what Peter's saying to us. Remember the truth. Do you know the truth? Do you know the truth about yourself? 
Do you know the truth at the heart that you're a sinner, that you're broken, that you can't fix yourself? Do you know the truth that you need a Savior? His name is Jesus. That's why he came. Do you know the truth about God, that he created you? He knows you through and through. He knows, he knows you. He knew you before the foundations of the world. Did you know, do you know the truth about what he's doing? In you, he's, he's promised to complete in you the work he started. Do you know the work he's doing in the world? He's promised to bring this thing, to transform this broken world back to the paradise that it once was, and even better, in the new heavens and new earth. Do you, do you know, are you knowing and believing and experiencing the truth? There are really two applications I want to do here. Number one, here's, here's the first one. The first one I want to say is, is just to get this order right. Christianity isn't true because it's relevant, but Christianity is relevant because it's true. And this is the first thing, like, if, if this thing isn't true, if Jesus really didn't come and live and die on the cross and raise again from the dead and ascend to heaven, if that didn't really physically, like, historically happen, then what we're doing is a waste of time. Like, what we're doing is just making ourselves feel better. We're sort of, you know, maybe rallying ourselves to make it through life, but it's a, it's a waste of time if it's not true. Christianity is always relevant because it's true. It's not, rele- it's not true because it's relevant. But the second thing I want you to see is there's a profound difference between knowing the truth and experiencing the truth. Um, I love the way that Tim Keller, he has this illustration I've always loved where he talks about how this tension between knowing truth, a lot of you grew up and you, you memorized the catechism, you grew up in VBS, you know a lot of scripture, you know a lot of truth, but there's a huge tension between knowing truth and experiencing truth, the truth coming alive, which the spirit alone can do. The spirit of God alone can make the truth come alive to you. And Keller's got this great illustration where he says it's like building a fire. The Christian life is like building a fire. What do you need to build a good fire? You need two things, right? You need good wood, good dry wood that's going to burn well, and you need fire. And he says, some of us have a lot of good wood. We've had a, lot of, we've had a ton of good doctrine taught to us. We've learned a lot of good things. We've, had, we've sat under great teaching. We've got a lot of good wood, but we have no fire. Our experience of the truth is sad, and I certainly can identify with that. In other words, that's what maybe we grew up in a church, more like the church I grew up in, the youth group, youth group I grew up in, that was full of fires, full of passion. It was full of, you know, singing, like the spirit was alive and moving. But there wasn't a lot of substance. There wasn't a lot of truth. There wasn't a lot of, of teaching. So which do, you, which do you need? Which do you need right now? Do you need more wood or more fire? We need, we need both. And Peter is saying, remember the truth <laughs> and your experience. And it's part of remembering the truth is applying the truth, experiencing the truth. But then there's a second thing he wants them to remember. First, remember the truth. But then secondly, he wants them to remember that the Lord is patient. This is interesting to think about. Because remember, we've been in this journey with Peter where Peter has failed time and time again. He's walking in water. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He begins to drown, and Jesus catches him. He's by the fire. He, he rebukes Jesus when Jesus starts talking about going to the cross. He says, Jesus, what are you talking about? This surely is, this is stupid what you're saying. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He, he denies him three times, not just once, three times by that fire. And Jesus beautifully restores him on the beach. But if, he, if he's experienced one thing, if there's one theme in his life that he could testify to, it's the patience of Jesus with him. And so it's, there's no mistake that he's got, as he's getting to the end, these very few things he wants us to remember. He's saying, please remember that the Lord is patient with you. He's far more patient with you than you are with yourself. He's far more patient with you than anyone else in your life is. The Lord is patient in his character and in his work. 
uh, this is where he, he, he starts talking about these accusations from these false teachers. And one of the accusations was, you know, the, the apostles had talked a lot about how the, the return of Jesus was imminent. It was, was going to happen any time now. And these false teachers were saying, we're here. Where's Jesus? If this thing hasn't happened, can't we just cynically look at the world and say this thing really isn't true? Can't we cynically just say this thing isn't really going to happen? And this is where Peter gets into this whole thing where he says, don't you understand that part of the Lord's slowness, number one, he doesn't work according to your timetable. The Lord works sometimes in centuries, sometimes even in millennia in fulfilling his promises. The Lord is not bound by or limited to your timetable to work in your life or my life. But the second thing, the reason Peter gives that he's being slow in his, in his return is he wants the fullness of repentance to happen in, the, in as, many, as many people as possible. And he wants his people to learn the life of repentance before he returns. But Peter is saying, remember, not only that there is truth that's unchanging, but remember that the Lord is patient with you. Um, I grew up, uh, kind of a, a, my first real father figure was a youth group minister um, in Sumter. His name was Mark Yoder. And he moved away my junior year of high school, which was devastating in a lot of ways. But I would go drive down to Birmingham, Alabama, just to go be with him, be with his family. And I remember this one time, I think I was actually a senior in high school. And I never, growing up kind of without a dad, I, I was not, um, t- I didn't know how to be a handyman at all. Like anything handy just wasn't, I mean, I'm not naturally that anyways, if you couldn't tell. But I am also didn't know. No one kind of taught me. And so Mark said, come with me, let's go, to the, um, let's go to my church, and I need to, I want your help building this platform for the youth group. And I'm like, I'm probably not your guy, but I'm going. So we go, and I'll never forget, like, he just invited me into building this thing. And I'm telling y'all, if you could, the worst, I wish you could have seen me try to hit a hammer and get these nails in. And as he was kind of watching me and guiding me, like, there was not an ounce of frustration there was not an ounce of shame. There was no, how do you not know how to do this? You're 18 years old. It was all, here's how you hold a hammer. Here's how you hold a nail. You should try it like that. Just complete patience. And for me, it's just pictures, a small picture of the way the Lord is with you and, and with me, with us. Just absolute patience, even when you're being dumb or foolish. Absolute patience, not an ounce of frustration, not an ounce of shame, just pure patience with you. And this means two things. Number one, this means part of what Peter's saying is you're a work in progress. You, you have not arrived. You will not arrive. Like this is the thing that you've got to get over. This is the, this is one of the biggest problems in your life is you are never going to arrive. You are to the day you die going to be a work in progress. Um, and the way that I think about it though, is, you know, when you think about there are really kind of two kinds of houses that go up now. They're, on the one hand, are the houses that go up super fast, um, cookie-cutter houses, right, that are put together in, like, a week. And you know those things just because they're put up so quickly and so shoddily, they're not going to last very long. And the other kind of house is a house where a couple moves in, and they want to rebuild or restore this thing, and they're going to take their time to make it just right. They're going to chip and Joanna Gaines in the best of ways. They're going to rip up carpet. They're going to take their time with the floors. They're going to take their time. They're going to bust out walls. They're going to rip up tiles, and they're going to take their time restoring, a lot of times, restoring this thing to its former beauty. And you need to know that's a picture of what is happening in your life. And sometimes that that 
tearing up and ripping out is painful, and yet it's the Lord patiently at work in you, taking his time with you. And this is the second thing you need to know is the Lord is a patient builder. The Lord is going to take his time with you. He's not just going to throw up some drywall and just throw down some cheap laminate floors, right? He's going to rip stuff out and take his sweet time making you just the way he wants you to joyfully and patiently. So Peter's saying, remember that the Lord is patient. Is that how you think about the Lord? Do you think about him as being more patient with you than you are with yourself? And Peter's saying, please, re- please remind yourself. He's saying, you've got to remind yourself of this. You're going to have to remind yourself that this is what the Lord is like. And then he keeps going. And then he gets into the section about, thirdly, the last thing he wants us to remember, he talks about the future of the world. Um, what the Lord is doing in you, he's saying, the Lord is in a bigger sense doing in the world. That the Lord is, is not only transforming you, but he's begun to transform the Lord. And he gets into this long section about how he's going to do it. This is a, a, can be a complicated passage about the burning and dissolving. If you, if you compare it with other sections of Scripture and Revelation... Even in Romans, there's a, there's a real sense in which the Lord is, is, he is tearing down again to build something and transform something new, the new heavens and the new earth that Peter talks about at the end where he says, this new heavens and new earth where righteousness will dwell. The world as it is, is not a place, you, you and I know, where righteousness dwells. It's a place where you get little glimpses of righteousness, and hopefully you can be a little part of that righteousness, and you are if you're in Christ, but... Part of what Peter is saying is you have to understand and remember that this world isn't all that there is. That there, even now, there is a reality where Jesus is sitting on the throne, being worshipped by hosts, not only of angels, but of people who have gone, believers who have gone before us that we can't see. But there's also a world that's coming that Jesus is making as he begins in Tolkien's words to make all the sad things come untrue. He's begun that work, but there's a, a destination and part of the question he's, this is where it gets hard, like as I'm studying this, this is a hard passage. Because part of what he's saying is, is your life now reflecting the reality and the promise of what your true and better life, the fulfillment of your life will be then? Uh, this is the way I think about it. So we, you know, you get 36, four kids, uh, you, you know, you've worked in a job for several years. You get into a pattern where you look, really look forward, and you do this too, where you look forward to vacation. So we've got, we just booked this house with my brother and sister-in-law and their kids in Own Lake, Michigan. We're going to go in June. It's going to be cool. Like it's going to be warm enough to be on the beach by the day and cool enough to have a fire pit at night. We went to the same place last year. And I can already see myself there, right? I can see, I can see myself relaxing with a drink in my hand, my toes in the sand, I can see myself like nodding off if my kids will give me some space, nodding off with, with my nose in a book. I can see myself around that fire pit, like having really good, fun conversations with people I love. I can see myself wiping ice cream from my kids' faces because we're going to do that probably several times that week. I can see myself there, and it brings me joy. It brings me uh, forbearance. It brings me hope. And it pales in comparison to what Peter's trying to paint for us, this picture of this ultimate not vacation, but this ultimate destination, this ultimate place that Jesus has begun to prepare, but he's taking us. And part of what he's saying, he's asking us is, are you living now? It's such a simple thought, but it's so, it's so challenging. Are you living now in a way that reflects your ultimate hope and life is there? 
Now, and we know now, Paul says about us in Colossians, that our life now is hidden with Christ above. But there is a truer sense that our life, are the fulfillment of our life, what our lives are about, is there with Jesus, with each other in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and, and, and this is the way I was thinking about it. Let's just ask it this way. When we think about that, there are three questions we can ask. Number one, what can't I take with me there? What can't I take with me? And it's pretty simple. I can't take my money. I can't take my degree. I can't take my possessions. I can't take my land. I can't take my house. I was going to say my vacation home. I don't have one. Let's just pretend I did. I can't take that either, my pretend one. I can't take my collection. I can't take those things with me. I can't take my clothes, my shoes. I can't take them with me. What can't I do there? I can't share the gospel with the lost there. I can't meet the needs of a struggling family there. I can't help provide clean water to dying people there. I can't help these parents who are struggling to raise their kids there. I can't do those things there because God will have met those needs. What will I do there? Talk about Jesus with good friends. Talk to Jesus. Laugh with Jesus. Eat with Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Worship Jesus. And part of what Peter is saying is, which of these is your life? Which of these is your life about? Which of these is my life about? And I think, you know, it's no mistake. Today's Fat Tuesday. Man, I have lived it up, y'all. I'm not going to lie to you. I had Bojangles this morning. I went all out in Bojangles. Then I went, I was still full, but I was pushing through. So then I had uh, egg roll chin, and I ate all of it. Like, I told myself I was going to eat half of it, and then I ate all of it. I have I am full and ready for, for Lent. I don't know if you do Lent. I don't really, but the idea, I like the idea. But the thought, right? The thought, what, whatever your thoughts on Lent, we could debate. The thought of Lent is what? The life of repentance. I'm going to repent of things that I love more than Jesus. Take your pick, right? If you're like me, take your pick of things that you practically depend on and love more than Jesus. But it's getting into practice what Peter's talking about, of, of living a life now that is more in touch with our true, fulfilled life there and then. Um, I'll close with this. I have a, uh, I was going to say friend. We're not friends. A guy that I like a lot. His name's John LaRue. He did RUF at Ole Miss for a long time. And then he planted a church, I think in New Orleans. And he's been all over, but he's kind of a PCA legend. And I remember, I'll never forget him preaching a sermon one time where he was talking about his funeral. And he said, he wasn't joking, he was like, I mean, everyone was laughing, but he was like, this is real, this is written down in my will. He was like, for my funeral, my funeral is not going to be a funeral, my funeral is going to be a party. And he's like, it's in my will, I don't care, my family can grieve by themselves, but my funeral is going to be a party, and we're going to have kegs, and we're going to have a crawfish boil, and we're going to have a live band, and it's going to be a party. And we're all kind of laughing, he's like, yo, I'm serious, my funeral is going to be a party, because... I want my family to believe and to know that my life in that, in that moment has never been better because I'm with Jesus now. And so it's going to be a party. And I love that. I don't, have the, I don't think I have the courage yet to have that conversation with Alyssa, but maybe I'll just write it in my will 
she'll have to do it. Is that how that works? I'm not sure. But maybe we'll go for it. But he's saying, because I want the people there to remember, to remember the truth about Jesus, to know the patience of Jesus with me, and to know that this world, that this world isn't all there is, that I am now with him, and my life has been fulfilled. Let's remember these things together. Part of what we're doing in RUF is we're trying to help each other remember. Let's help each other remember. And let's remind ourselves too. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your sweetness to us. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that you are the truth. Um, we thank you that the truth is, is wrapped up, is you, um, is a person. And we thank you for what you're doing and, and, and already preparing this place, already, already preparing and being at work to restore this broken world to its former glory and a glory even beyond that where we will get to be with you and be with your people forever. Would you give us the hope? Would you help us to remember and to not just to know the truth, but to experience the truth? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.